Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for January 22nd, 2018. Nine games slate for us to go through and uh, some interesting spots here. Uh, first game on the slate, the Kings at the Hornets. As of now, we don't really know who the Kings are resting. It's really hard to figure out who it is each day if they are or aren't going to be playing. For right now, we're guessing it's going to be Zebo that sits and then not really sure who else it's going to be. But Zebo seems like the guy who's going to be resting. He's played the last couple games. It is a road game for them. So assuming it is him that doesn't play, that would mean that Willie Cauley-Stein at 6,600 and Scal Lebesier at 4,300 are both decent plays. Scal 4,300 I really think is a good value. He has, let's see, his last three games now, he's played 22 minutes, then 28 minutes, 29 minutes. 29 fantasy points, 19-24. So I think he's not only a good value at 4,300, but also a lot of upside because we haven't seen him have like a monster game this year. But there were some games toward the tail end of last season where he scored like 40-plus fantasy points. So he is that kind of upside. And I've said this before, I just really like Scal as a prospect. I think he's really athletic. And I think he could be, I wouldn't say an all-star level player, but I think he could be an above-average starter in the NBA. From the Hornets side of the game, the biggest concern here is with the blowout risk. For the Kings guys like Scal, blowout really isn't too much of a concern because he's probably going to be playing at the end of the game anyway. But for the Hornets side, so guys like Kemba Walker and Dwight Howard, they do have a lot of upside. There's just a lot, there's a very low floor to them because, uh, what are they, 10.5 point favorites. That is going to be one of the biggest spreads on the slate. So I would say that Dwight and Kemba are fine for GPPs, but not not for cash games. Yeah, I think I'll be fading the Hornets side too, except maybe some potential bench guys if you're playing for garbage time. The line actually opened at minus nine, and it's up to ten and a half with the public on the Kings. So it looks like there is some sharp money on the Hornets pushing this line up, and I guess it makes sense that wise guys would think that the Kings have a good chance of getting blown out. That does seem to be a very normal thing to happen to them. Um, so Labissier would still be in play. I think that makes sense. And I also think Darren Fox would be in play, even in a blowout situation. He's still probably too cheap overall. And I guess this won't be a game that George Hill sits because he sat last game. We don't know that for sure, but I would guess George Hill plays in this one. Um, but a blowout would figure to benefit Fox more. There's no reason for the Kings to play George Hill if they're down by double digits in the fourth quarter. And Fox has played well over the last few weeks and he just hasn't been priced up. So I think playing him and LeBissier together, or just either of them, would be fine. Um, from the Hornets, if you're looking for guys to maybe use planning for a blowout, I think the guy is Frank Kaminsky. Um, if he gets 30 minutes or so at 4,200, I think there's a lot of upside there. But even in just regular bench minutes, he's probably fine. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's hard to say what the matchup is because we don't really know which Kings players he'll be going against. But uh, Dwight Howard is always prone to getting in foul trouble and... It kind of just seems like a low price for Kaminsky. I think he's been in the mid-fours fairly recently, uh, in the high-fours earlier. He's kind of fluctuated, but that's um, that's someone who would have a lot of upside, I guess, just in the scenario for a blowout, and has a decent floor either way. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I guess my final take on that game is just that at least how it shapes up now, Scal is probably one of my favorite 
uh, upside GPP plays on the slate. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think Scal is the one guy I would use in any combination. I think I'd be more inclined to play Fox with Scal and maybe with Frank Kaminsky looking for, I guess, a mini blowout stack. And there's not really anyone else that I would feel comfortable with um, expecting them to get regular minutes in that blowout situation. Maybe Jeremy Lamb, but his price is a lot less friendly than those other guys. So he basically is a bad play unless there's a blowout. But the other guys, I think, are good plays regardless of the score. Okay, next game here we have the Utah Jazz at the Atlanta Hawks. From the Jazz side of the game, uh, Rodney Hood is questionable with a leg contusion. He missed last game. He only played half of the game before because that is what Rodney Hood does. He leaves a lot of games early. Uh, if he is able to play, he is not in play for me, especially coming in with an injury. I just think there's way too much risk of him not being able to finish the game. If he's out, I don't really think it adds too much in terms of guys that I'd be really interested in. It's more playing time for Rubio and Joe Ingles. But still, the the ceiling for Ingles, like I understand Ingles had a really good game last time out. He scored... Uh, what was it, like 38 fantasy points against, yeah, so 38 fantasy points against the Clippers. At 5,100, you need 25 and a half fantasy points for Joe Ingles to hit value. He has done that two times since December 18th. He's also gone below 20 points a handful of times. So Joe Ingles at 5,100, despite his last game, there is not much ceiling to him. The floor is very low. So I don't really like angles. And then overall, just the Jazz situation, it becomes a lot less fantasy-friendly with Rudy Gobert on the court. There's less room to operate for Donovan Mitchell. There's less minutes in the front court, so there's less value. It's a really good matchup against the Hawks. So I'd say maybe you could look at Rudy Gobert and GPPs. Let me look at what his production was like prior to the injury. Um, well, prior to the injury, he was also playing on a minutes restriction. Then earlier in the year really wasn't playing particularly well either then. So for the season, he's averaging 31.5 fantasy points. So I don't really like Gobert, I guess, that much at 7,000. And the Hawks side of the game is just a fade for me because that's a really tough game against the Utah Jazz defense with Gobert. Yeah, this game is kind of just crap overall. Uh, it's only a 205 total. So even in a pace-up game for the Jazz in a good matchup, it's not a lot of points that we're expecting to be scored. And they're just... Too many guys. Even if Rodney Hood doesn't play, I think Rudy Gobert being there just hurts a lot. Uh, it hurts everyone's fantasy production. It obviously hurts the Hawks side of the game a ton. The Jazz are one of the best defensive teams in the league with Gobert playing, and they're not good at all when he's not playing. Um, so definitely not considering the Hawks, although I think maybe you could take a flyer on John Collins because his game isn't really dependent on scoring at all. It's more blocks and rebounds, so the matchup doesn't matter as much for him. But I still think that this game is probably going to be a full fade just because there are too many guys kind of stepping on each other's toes and it's probably not going to be a very high scoring game either well this next game should be really high scoring the bulls oh, my ipad just froze ah, okay well i know what the game is anyway it's the bulls at the pelicans i believe it has the highest total on the slate of any game so far so okay i'm back in action now from the bull side of the game uh, we still have Zach Levine on a minutes restriction. He has played no more than 20 minutes in any game so far. He's played uh, 19, 20, 20, 18 minutes in the last four games. So he's still not in play yet. 
Chris Dunn is still out with a concussion, so Jerry and Grant starting a point guard. I think people might want to look to him for value. He did score 27 points in his last start against the Hawks, filling in for Dunn. The issue I have with Grant is he still only played 25 minutes in that game, and he is not a great permanent fantasy producer. As a starter this year, he's playing 27 minutes per game and scoring 23.8 fantasy points. So at 4,900, I'd say he's a marginal play, but I don't think he's as good as people might think him to be in this matchup, Is that make, if that makes sense. And in the front court situation, Miritich, Markinen, Portis, all these guys play some minutes, and with all of them healthy, I just don't really think it's a great situation. So overall, I don't like the Bulls' side of the game, despite how many points are expected to be scored. From the Pelicans' side... We have DeMarcus Cousins, 10,900, Anthony Davis at 10,800. I think both of them are okay as GPP plays. There's certainly upside there. But as of now, the slate kind of looks like it makes more sense to play in the mid-tier than go Stars and Scrubs. Yeah, this game is a really high total, but it does seem kind of fadeable just because everyone's priced up and there are a lot of minutes to go around. So even with Chris Dunn out, there isn't a ton of value. Uh, maybe you could go with holiday versus holiday matchup. Are are they related? I don't actually know if they they are related. And actually, now that you bring it up, I'm looking at Drew Holiday's been playing really well lately. So Drew Holiday's last four games, first the minutes are ridiculous: 37 minutes, 45 minutes, 41, 37 and a half, 37, and his fantasy point total is 47, 52, 47, 35, 49. And oh wow, okay. So the field goal shooting way unsustainable. He is shooting uh, 55% from the field over the last week. So if uh, – let's see. What do what do the Bulls give up to shooting guards? Because I think they might be the worst team in the league against shooting guards or one of the worst. We probably so, have to adjust a little bit, though, with Chris Dunn not playing. It's kind of hard to figure out an individual's player's defense in his rookie year um, or in, early in his career, but – yeah, I guess we can probably assume that it stays the same regardless. Yeah, so I'll say I, I think I think Drew Holiday's fine to roster at seventy two hundred, um, and not Justin Holiday. Not Justin Holiday, but but yay on Drew Holiday. Yeah, I think it could be a night to just roster one or two Pelicans guys together and not really stack the game. So maybe play Holiday with Davis or Holiday with Cousins. Maybe use any one of those three guys by themselves. But I think I'm probably staying away from the Bulls' side. So, game with the highest total, I think. Uh, there are a few games we don't have the numbers for yet, but still not a great stack spot. Yeah, so just now that I'm looking at the numbers, Chicago's allowing the most fantasy points to opposing shooting guards. And yes, the shooting of Drew Holiday has been a little bit unsustainable. Like, he's not going to keep shooting 55 to 60% from the field, but still. At 7,200, he's been performing way above that recently, and with the positive matchup and all those minutes, I think he's fine to play uh, cash games or GPP. I like I like Drew Holiday for this slate. Uh, next game we have here is the Miami Heat at the Houston Rockets. From the Heat side of the game, it's difficult to draw a conclusion right now. Goran Podrovic is questionable. He missed last game. Tyler Johnson is questionable with the ankle injury. He has missed the last three games. So... The last game with both of them out, they actually started Wayne Ellington at point guard, and then Josh Richardson also had more ball-handling responsibility. 
Uh, but for right now, it's just hard to say who's in play, who's not in play, because we just don't really know the Heat situation. From the Rocket side of the game, uh, James Harden at 10,200. There is some blowout risk here, particularly with Drogic and Johnson are both out. I think that there's upside in James Harden at 10,200. I think there's more upside in Harden at his price than there is in DeMarcus Cousins or Anthony Davis at their price. So the matchup is negative for Harden in terms of pace and just the Heat are a good defensive team and there is blowout risk. But Harden at 10,200, there's there's just a lot of room for upside. And his price is certainly going to go up from here. So the last time that he was healthy with Chris Paul, he was priced in the high 10,000, low 11K range. And Harden's minutes restriction, I'm not really too concerned about it. He played 35 minutes last game. It was a game against the Warriors, which probably led D'Antoni to play him more. But he played well in that game. He looked fine. So I think we'll see Harden at regular minutes going forward. Yeah, and also, if the Heat are missing so many players, then maybe we have to adjust what we think about the matchup. So maybe it's not as bad of a matchup if Drogic isn't playing and if Johnson's not playing. They're already missing a bunch of other guys, and Whiteside's minutes have been kind of sporadic. So it's not necessarily a bad matchup for the Heat, and we can't really quantify what the impact of missing all those guys is. Uh, I would guess, though, that Wayne Ellington is a much worse defender than the rest of the Heat guards. Um, he's just a scoring player who, I guess, he doesn't have the reputation for it, but it's really hard to tell with someone like that because he's usually not guarding one of the other team's better players. Um, but I think it makes some sense to just assume it's an easier matchup with Ellington there as opposed to Drogic or uh, Tyler Johnson, who are just more athletic. But yeah, I guess Harden does have upside either way. There's some blowout risk. We don't have a Vegas line yet, so it's, it's a little hard to figure out just how much. Um, and one thing to be wary of, for whoever starts on the Miami side at point guard, this is a matchup on the road against Chris Paul. So I don't really like anyone from the Heat unless those guys are out. If uh, Drogic and Johnson are out, then Wayne Ellington's probably usable. But even though there's value in his price tag, there it is a really hard matchup. Um, so maybe it might make sense to be light compared to the field on Ellington, even as a starter, because of how difficult the matchup is. Uh, and I guess it could be a blowout too, which I, I think would mean that Ellington doesn't play in garbage time just because he is the starting point guard, uh, assuming those guys are out. Okay, next game here we have the Phoenix Suns at the Milwaukee Bucks. From the Bucks side of the game, Giannis Antetokounmpo has already been ruled out with the sore knee. The Bucks kind of have like a weird schedule right now where it's set up that they had a couple days in between their last game, they had a couple games before that, and they have a couple games before their next game. So by holding Giannis out for these two games, they're actually able to give him eight days off. So that's one of the big reasons for the rest is they could just get him a lot of time off this part of the season. So from the Sun side of the game, I do think that this is an easier matchup than it appears on paper for TJ Warren because he would normally be guarded by Giannis in this matchup. So the just DVP numbers make this out to be a really difficult matchup for Warren, but not as much the case without uh, without Giannis there. So I think that he is in play at 6,800. Devin Booker is a little bit too expensive for me, and then the rest of the minutes just tend to get spread out from the Sun side of the game. Then getting into Milwaukee, Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton have been priced up so high that I just think that they're isn't a ton of value or upside to them in their current price tags. Even without Giannis, even without, uh, even in the really up-paced, favorable matchup against the Suns, 
I think 8,700 for Middleton, 8,200 for Bledsoe is, I'll say if you want to play him in a cash game, they don't have anybody else. They don't have a lot of other guys to score or handle the ball. So I think they're fine. The one guy who I do think there could be a really significant amount of value on, be a really strong play, is Malcolm Brogdon's at 5,000. So last game when Bledsoe and Middleton got extra usage, Brogdon didn't play that game. So Middleton and Bledsoe's prices both went up, but Brogdon's price stayed the same at 5000 So extra, he'll get extra usage if he's able to play and Giannis doesn't go. We don't know the status of Brogdon for this game right now. Brogdon missed last game due to personal reasons. He was away from the team. We don't know anything beyond that. There haven't been any beat reporters that said that, like, hey, it was a death in the family or whatever the situation is. So for right now, we have to consider Brogdon as questionable. And if he is going to play, he makes for a really strong value play. If he's out, then we're probably going to see Sterling Brown or maybe Tony Snell start again. I don't think either of them are particularly appealing plays at 37 and 4,200. They were both cheaper for last game. So I was trying to find some Malcolm Brogdon news while you were going through that. And there was one uh, Bucks beat reporter who had uh, at least some insight that Brogdon's not on the injury report for tomorrow. Um, but the best we can do as far as why he didn't play last game is just he took a personal day. Uh, we have no idea what that means. But I think we can assume that he'll be playing. Uh, usually, I don't know, it's a little bit unprecedented, but I don't think it makes sense that he would just take another personal day. Maybe he does. Maybe they're, we're just not getting the whole story. For now, though, I think we should operate as though he's in because we have no reason to believe he's not in. And if Brogdon plays, then... I definitely think Middleton and Bledsoe are way too expensive. I think they would both be in play if Brogdon were out, although I kind of get what you're saying, and I I don't think I would want to use both of them together. Um, There's probably some negative correlation there. Uh, But they both do see a really strong usage bump with Giannis and Brogdon out, and one of them probably has to do really well for— I mean, there just isn't really anyone else to score for the Bucs if Brogdon's not there. Um, but that should be all a moot point anyway, because I think Brogdon will play, and I do think he is the best play on the Bucks by far if he's in. Uh, like you said, he's not priced up. He's only at 5000 and it is a good matchup. So I like Brogdon a lot. I'm not sure if I really like this game overall, though. I get what you're saying about Giannis not being there, making it a little easier for the Suns, especially uh, TJ Warren. Um, so maybe Warren is worth using, but I don't know. The Suns just, their prices do seem kind of high. Warren... 6,800 is maybe a little higher than where he bottomed out at. Um, And Devin Booker, just pulling that up again, 8,900, I think is too much for him. Um, And it's still a hard matchup for Devin Booker. He'll be guarded by Middleton or Bledsoe or Brogdon. So I would guess that once we find out the lineups, Brogdon is probably the guy that we're really focusing on for this game. Yeah, definitely. I I agree with that. Uh, I, I think that he's more likely to play than not. But just we have so little information on it and why he wasn't with the team last game that I think it's a little up in the air and at least worth saying that he might not play as of now as we look at the slate the night before the games. So next game here is the Philadelphia 76ers at the Memphis Grizzlies. From the Sixers side of the game, I think Embiid is fine to play just because the floor on him and the ceiling obviously also, but the floor is so high. He just has so few games this year where he's gone below 40 fantasy points, really regardless of matchups. And if he does go below 40, like he's a couple games where he scored like 38 or 37. And it was either at the beginning of the minute of the season where he was on a strict minutes or where he was on a strict minutes limit, or it was a game like where they played the Pistons and they won by like 50 points and he only scored and he only played 24 minutes. So 
I think Embiid is fine to roster. I don't want to play anybody else on the Sixers just because the Grizzlies play at such a slow pace. They're playing at the slowest pace in the league this year. From the Grizzlies' side of the game, there are so many injuries right now. We have Mike Conley is out, but we already knew that. He's been out for a while. Then in addition to that, uh, Jermichael Green rolled an ankle late in the last game. He's out. James Ennis has a calf injury. Chandler Parsons is out again. And then we have Jerome Martin is questionable. Dylan Brooks is questionable. Mario Chalmers is questionable. So this is another one where you just have to like wait and see who's playing because there's a decent chance we just have some really cheap value guys that get moved into the starting lineup. But we, we just don't know who's playing right now. Yeah, I think uh, the guys that we could potentially be targeting are Andrew Harrison and Wayne Selden. But we could also be targeting some of those questionable players assuming that a couple are, are out and then maybe one or two of them are in. And we really don't know which of the guys will end up playing. Um, I don't think that it's much of a boost to Marcus Gasol and Tyreek Evans, though, because it's already they're already the focal points of the offense anyway. I don't think they can really get much more usage just by playing with even worse backups than they're already playing with. It's just yeah, replacing I, backups I with backups. Agree. And the other thing also is that all of these guys that we're bringing up who are either out or questionable – are all low-usage players. So there isn't some massive amount of usage all of a sudden going to Tyreek Evans and Marcus Sol. They already have high usage rates. The value here is just going to come from some of these cheap guys who could potentially be playing significant minutes. Uh, Wayne Selden, I do agree with you, could be the most interesting just because he played uh, he played 27 minutes last game and scored uh, 31 real-life points, 38 fantasy points. Wayne Selden's super athletic and is fun to watch he's kind of like uh and this isn't to say that their fantasy games are similar but somebody who i watch wayne selden play who i think his game style is kind of similar to is russell westbrook he's that same like super athletic attacking kind of player so i i think that if selden ends up getting moved into the starting line at 4100 we could see him play 30 plus minutes and i think he'd be a really interesting value play yeah i think so too and then I guess I can't really comment on the Westbrook thing because I, I haven't watched him play nearly as much as you have. But just going back to the Sixers for a second, I am wary of Embiid, even though he does have, I mean, he just is really good all the time and it's really good for his price. But going on the road against Marcus Gasol is a really tough individual matchup and it's a down pace game. So I'm, I'm concerned about Embiid. I think he's someone to have exposure to, but he could be pretty chalky after the huge game against the Celtics. He's had some big games recently. Um, so even in a tough matchup, I feel like ownership won't be that low for tournaments. And I, I, I'm just worried about how good defensively Marcus Gasol is. So I think I'll have some MB, but not too much. And the Sixers, yeah, I guess the problem for them overall is the pace that the Grizzlies play at. They're the slowest team in the league. So I, I'm not sure if I'll have much Sixers exposure overall. Okay, next game here is the Washington Wizards at the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, as I've mentioned so many times, the Wizards just have such a ridiculous home road splits. So just going through this for the season, John Wall is scoring five more fantasy points at home versus on the road. Bradley Beal scores five more fantasy points at home against on the road. Otto Porter scores about the same. So he's one guy who doesn't really have significant splits. At 6,300, I also think he has uh, some upside to him. So I think he's fine to roster. Wall and Beal in a down pace matchup at Dallas with their just ridiculous home road splits. I, I I don't like to play them on the road really almost ever. I think one of the reasons that Porter 
is less affected by everybody else on the team being just worse on the on the road and the Wizards being a pretty significant home road team is that a lot of Porter's production comes via rebounds, steals, and blocks. So he doesn't necessarily need to score the basketball to have decent fantasy games. I think he's fine to roster at 6,300. From the Dallas side of the game, the one guy who I think is moderately interesting is J.J. Barea at 4,700. I know the matchup is difficult, except Barea, prior to getting hurt, we saw him price up to 5,800, and he was really consistently scoring like high 20s, low 30 fantasy points. So I think that people are just going to overlook J.J. Barea because they kind of forgot about him because he missed a couple of games, like out of mind, out of sight. But he was so good for like a two, three-week period. It might have even been longer than that that I think that there's a sneaky amount of upside in him at 4,700 that people just aren't going to think about. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. I like Barea a lot, mostly because he's just cheaper than he should be. He was in the mid-fives before he got hurt, and he only missed, I think it was two games, and then just came back at a cheaper price tag. Uh, it was one game. He left uh, one game early also. And yeah, his his production was look, definitely look good. Games, so look, he's at 4,700. Going back to his games from the beginning of December, he has almost no games where he scored under 23 fantasy points, which is basically what we need for him to hit value. Yeah, he's done it twice since the start of December. Um, and he's had a few games in the 30s, one game in the 40s. So there's upside, too. It's not like he doesn't have upside. I think it's a little bit capped because there are so many guards on Dallas. Um, but it's not it's not that capped. I, I won't say that J.J. Barea has much of a chance to go over 40 on a given night. But scoring in the 30s at 4,700 is definitely a really good result. And I don't think that's even remotely out of the question. So he, he's a good play. And then Devin Harris is questionable. So that could be another boost to J.J. Barea. There's just one less guy in the Mavericks backcourt. Could mean a few extra minutes for everybody. Uh, but I'm not sure how usable Dallas is overall. Uh, if we're talking about the Wizards having home road splits, then it should benefit the Mavericks to some degree. There should be more rebounds for them to grab at the very least if the if the Wizards are missing more shots. Uh, but the pricing on the rest of the Mavs, I think it's just kind of fair. Wes Matthews was in the low 4,000s for a while. Now he's at 4,900. Harrison Barnes is at 6,500. I think that's probably fine. Um, I think Barnes is a better play for his price than Matthews. And then Dennis Smith Jr. is all the way up to 6,800. He would maybe be more usable if Harris is out too, but I don't know that we'll get that injury news uh, before Locke. So for now, I'll just say Berea and I think Barnes would be the two guys that I like the most from Dallas. Okay, next game, Portland at Denver. Damian Lillard's been playing really well recently. Uh, yeah, last so since coming back from injury, 50, 43, 40, 51, 45, 52 fantasy points. So I think he's fine. Uh, I don't usually like to roster Lillard and McCollum together, but this is an oddly low price tag for me for C.J. McCollum in this matchup. 6,700 is, let's see, so actually he was 6,600 for last game. But before that, I mean, we saw McCollum pretty regularly in the 7,000 range, and not just when uh, Damian Lillard was out, but even earlier in the season, he was priced above 7,000. Most of last year, he was a mid-7,000 player and actually got up to as high as 8,000 at one point. So seeing McCollum at 6,700, it's not like he's played poorly recently either. If you look at his last handful of games, even with Lillard back, it's been a lot of games... There's been a couple of duds. He had a 20 and a 26 fantasy point game, but other than that, 
and then a bunch of games in a row in the 39 to 45 range. So I think 6,700 in a plus matchup for McCollum that's also being played up pace is a good situation for him. Uh, I think this is a good spot for Nurkic. Uh, let's see. Although Nurkic really does seem to be matchup proof and on both sides of matchups where he has good games against really good defensive centers and then terrible games against bad defensive centers. Yeah, I was kind of wondering if, because there's that, uh, the revenge narrative for him, but one thing is that I thought that maybe the that would make the Blazers more inclined to give him extra minutes against the Nuggets, but maybe not the case because his other two games against Nuggets cheer, he scored nine fantasy points in 24 minutes and 23 fantasy points in 30 minutes. So not exactly huge workloads, but either way, Nurkic at 6,500 in what's still a plus matchup for him against Jokic. I think that he's a good GPP option, maybe not for cash games, though. From the Nuggets side of the game, not really a great spot for them just because Portland's good defensively. Uh, But depending on what their starting lineup is, I think Trey Lyles makes for a decent play. Lyles started last game and played 28 minutes. Lyles per minute this year is scoring exactly a fantasy point per minute. He scores 20.3 fantasy points in 20.3 minutes. So if Lyles is going to start at 5,300 and play about 30 minutes, I think he's a pretty strong play. Yeah, everyone else on the Nuggets is kind of priced up, so I'm not sure if I really like anyone else besides Lyles. Uh, Jokic is maybe fine, but it's not the easiest matchup, and he has been... Priced up a little bit, at least. Uh, the guards, though, I don't think are usable. Uh, so maybe it is just Lyles from Denver. But for for Portland, I agree with you on McCollum. And if you look at his game log, uh, the two games you mentioned where he did poorly came against uh, Jimmy Butler and Victor Oladipo. So tough matchups for opposing defenders. But then he also had a 37-point game against Wes Matthews. That's a tough matchup also. Um, I don't know, maybe he's being priced down because of the matchup against Gary Harris. Is it possible that DraftKings is factoring that in? No. I I, really, I think it is more to do with the two 20-point uh, games in, in two of his last four bring down his just average from the last few games. Right, if you just took his average over his last three or his average over his last five, then it would just be not as high of a number as his season average. So, yeah, I guess that's that's the reason. And I think that Pacers game was also a blowout. It ended up being a 14-point game, but I'm pretty sure Portland was down 20 or so uh, at some point in the second half. And I think that might have impacted McCollum. Oh, you know what it was? McCollum actually got injured for a few minutes early in the fourth quarter of that game. So he ended up playing a few less minutes than he ordinarily would. Um, maybe that – well, that definitely is being overlooked by the pricing algorithm. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on McCollum. I don't really think there's anyone else I, I like that much on Portland. Nurkic makes some sense for tournaments, but Al Farak Aminu, who's someone we've both liked a lot recently, is now up to 5,500. He was a lot more usable in the 4,000, so I think I'll be mostly just on McCollum for this game. Next game on the slate, another one, significant injury news, and last game of the night by a decent amount, too, because this is what's a 10:30 start. And Jimmy Butler, questionable with a back injury. So this is really important slate information. So hopefully we get some info on Jimmy Butler. If he isn't able to play, Nemanja Bialica probably draws a start again. He started last game, ended up playing 27 minutes, scored 19.5 fantasy points. So not some like crazy amount of production. But anytime you could get somebody who's the bare minimum 3,000 price on DK, and we could expect them to play close to 30 minutes, 
they're just very likely to hit value. And even the worst case scenario for them is like you get a Deontay Davis game the other day where he scores what 14 fantasy points at 3,000. That's still almost hitting value and is not really a terrible situation. So if Bielitsa starts, he's a really strong punt play at 3,000. And then just everybody else, there's so much more usage available without Jimmy Butler. Carl Anthony Towns, Jeff Teague, Andrew Wiggins, they all become really strong plays because they all score uh, like five-plus more fantasy points per 36 minutes with Jimmy Butler off the floor. So they're all good plays. From the Clippers' side of the game, uh, let's see. We have Lou Williams at 8,500. I think he's fine to play at that price tag. It's... It's a tough matchup. He's gone up, but he's had so many just ridiculous games recently. And he's Williams. really good at steals now. You gotta, yeah, you gotta expect that he's gonna get at least five steals in this game since he just had ten in his last game, right? Yeah, I think you know what's weird. He had before that game. He had gone. Let's see. He didn't really get steals before that. That's just not he, something he normally gone, does. He had, he had gone an entire month with like eight steals. And then he had 10 steals in a single game. Uh, safe to say he'll never have 10 steals in a game again. Uh, but either way, even with zero steals, Lou Williams could score a lot of points. We've seen him score how many? He said so many 30 fantasy points, uh, 30 real life games recently. I think there's a lot of Florida Lou Williams. I think there's a lot of ceiling. The Timberwolves defense figures to be worse if Jimmy Butler can't play. So I think Lou Williams is in play. Uh, I think Blake Griffin's okay, but maybe not necessarily as strong of a play. The reason I like him more is just because I think this is a really stackable game if Jimmy Butler doesn't play. So I think that there's an avenue where you feel like Lou Williams, Blake Griffin with like Wiggins, Pialita, Teague, Towns, like some kind of combination of all those guys to make for a good game stack. So that's the situation I'd want to use Blake Griffin in. Well, if we know that Butler is out before lock, then this is a really easy situation. We have our four four uh, Wolves guys that are the very obvious picks: Teague, Teague Wiggins, and Towns, and then Bielitsa. And then I guess you, Lou Williams, probably is a solid value. And then you might as well throw Blake Griffin in there too, because you already have so many guys from the same game. But if we don't know Butler's status going into lock, which I think is pretty likely, given that it's a ten thirty game. And uh, we probably won't know Jamal Crawford's status either, which I guess matters a lot less, but still matters a little bit. I think it would matter mostly for Bielitsa. Um, more minutes for him. Maybe Crawford would start if he's playing because he missed last game too, right? Him and Butler both didn't play. Correct. So if we don't know what's going on with Butler, then I think the best guy to use from this game is probably Jeff Teague. He's a little too cheap anyway. I think he's been priced down because he just hasn't shot that well in the last three games or so. And 5700 might just be a fair price for him in a neutral matchup. This is a decent matchup. And Teague sees a huge usage bump, just like the rest of the guys do, um, without Butler there. But I think he's the one who has the most value if we're just talking uh, in normal circumstances where the Wolves are healthy. Um, and then if Butler it does end up being out, you get a big added bonus. I'm not sure how much I would stack the game just hoping Butler would be out, because it definitely would be risky to have Teague, Wiggins, and Towns in the same lineup without knowing for sure that Butler were going to be out and then Butler would end up playing and then there's very little upside for that lineup. So I think if we go in not knowing Jimmy Butler's status, I would use Teague. I would definitely use Lou Williams. 
And I think I would maybe just have sporadic exposure to the rest of the guys that we've mentioned, but not a lot. And then definitely no Bielitsa unless we know for sure that Butler's out because his floor would be really low in that circumstance. Yeah, I'm trying to – I was just trying to look up to see if the Timberwolves have shoot-around or not tomorrow afternoon, but I'm not sure because that, that is sometimes something that happens with the late games is there is an afternoon shoot-around and teams give out an update before then. So that's probably our best-case scenario is that if the Timberwolves have a shoot-around tomorrow and then after the shoot-around, Thibodeau says, hey, Jimmy Butler definitely not playing or is playing or maybe Butler participates in shoot-around and there's some kind of indication that he feels better. Uh, but I don't know, as of now, with it being the last game, I'm not overly optimistic that we're going to have injury update for him prior to lock, but that is out of our control. Um, I'll mention one more thing. Uh, We already know that DeAndre Jordan is out. He's been ruled out again. Yes. Uh, So I don't think Montrezl Harrell, we talked about him a little bit before the podcast. I don't really think Montrezl Harrell is usable at 5,100, but I will say that I think it's an easier matchup for Towns with Jordan out. I think that's worth mentioning. So, just thinking about that, it might be worth having some Towns exposure, even if we don't know Jimmy Butler's status. I think him and T actually would both make sense to use, uh, and definitely would both make sense if we know that Butler's out. Yeah, the uh, yeah that is uh, that is something else that I forgot to mention. Not only does Towns get the big usage bump, but also there's a lot less resistance on the inside in the paint for him without DeAndre Jordan there. So that will finish today's podcast you can follow me on twitter at g Ehrenberg dfs matt's twitter handle is at preaching sense and we'll be back for tuesday